Today, if you have a Bible, let's open up to Galatians chapter 2. As we look at this amazing book, some people believe it was actually the first letter that Paul ever wrote. And so it was early on, it was definitely early on when it comes to the letters that are written. We know that Paul wrote 13 letters, some say maybe even 14 if you count the book of Hebrews. But this letter right here is a pretty passionate letter in which he's, he's defending the gospel of Jesus Christ, how we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, you know. And so uh, as we go through this chapter, I pray that um, we would learn, you know, just the authority of God's word. And, uh, and, and as we, you know, listen up for maybe about the next 25, 30 minutes, then what we're going to do is we're going to break up into groups and we'll be able to take it even deeper when we fellowship together. And so notice what we read here in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of false brethren who secretly brought in, came, came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that we might, they might bring us into bondage. To whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. And so it's interesting when you look at the, the chronology of, of Paul the Apostle, you know, when he first got saved, you guys remember what he did first? He took three years and he just went along with him and the Lord in, in, in Arabia. It was just him and his scriptures and the Holy Spirit. And that would be kind of cool, huh? Wouldn't it be kind of cool, you guys, if you could take three years off from life and just you and your Bible and you're asking God to speak to you. And as he's there, because his life had radically been changed. Prior to that, he thought he had it figured out. He was this crazy, you know, a Jewish uh, um, rabbi in training. He was a part of the Sanhedrin. I mean, he was a leader in Judaism. And then it, his world just got rocked, man, because Jesus Christ appeared to him on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9 and arrested him. And then he understood that all those prophecies in the Old Testament they all pointed to Jesus. And he understood for the first time in his life that salvation was not by works. It wasn't by ceremony. It wasn't by the, the, the ceremonial law of the sacrifice of the lambs. It was the blood of God's Son who would come and redeem us from our sins. You know, and Paul discovered that. And man, God did such a great work in his life. You know, and, and it's so cool. And it's something that's important for us to hold on to. You know, I remember the day that I got saved. It was an instant. It was a moment in time. There was an altar call. I went forward. And that day right there in that church, man, I was waterworks. I was weeping. I mean, it was the Lord just cleansing me of my sin. And from that day forward, that moment, I was justified. That means I was declared righteous, legally declared righteous in the sight of God. Because when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, 
He no longer sees your sin. I mean, even though we sin, we fall short from a practical standpoint. Positionally, when he looks at you, you're washed in the blood. He sees no sin the moment you place your faith in Christ. And that's the good news of the gospel, right? And so, you know, uh, Paul, um, you know, he coming from the, the Jewish background, you know, he, it, was a, it would have been a struggle for him. You know, the Bible says that for the Greeks, uh, salvation like this is, is, is foolishness. It's not intellectually, you know, it doesn't make any sense. You mean to tell me that I can go and, and maybe, you know, you got high in the past or, or maybe you, you know, used to beat up people in the past or maybe you broke the law or maybe you spent time in prison or maybe you even killed somebody or maybe you did something crazy and you mean to tell me that all you have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you're going to go to heaven like the thief on the cross? You mean to tell me it's, it's like that? And so for the Greek who's a philosopher, he's an intellectual, it doesn't make sense in his brain. And for the Jew who is such a religious man, it, it was a stumbling block, right? And so for them it was hard, you know, because they're so rooted in religion and works righteousness but when Paul understood the gospel, I mean, God set him free. And for the rest of his life, there were two things going on. Number one, I'm going to preach it. I'm going to tell that tow truck driver when he comes over and takes my car, even though I'm brokenhearted because I'm going to miss my Camry. It got totaled, man. You know, and so he's coming to take it away. And part of me is bummed out because I had an emotional bond with this car, right? And so now the car's going away. But it doesn't even matter, man, because right now my only thoughts are, is this guy saved? You know, when you go to Jack in the Box or you go to, you know, wherever that place is and you've got a track and you want to give it to him because your life is now all about preaching the gospel to people who are lost because you know that all they have to do is place their faith in Jesus Christ right there in the middle of the road. And you can talk to a lot of people who go to church and they'll tell you, you know, when they were there and, you know, making a pit stop at Target or over there, they ran into somebody in the parking lot you know, at Hobby Lobby, that someone got saved. Because you were, you know, caring enough and loving enough and bold enough to give them the simple gospel. You gave that to them right there in that parking lot. Their eternal destiny was changed. Because you know that all you have to do is believe. And once you believe, not in your head, but in your heart, once you place your faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross and rose again, and now your trust is in him, you know that that, that, that means that they are saved, that they are free, that they are forgiven, they're washed, they're empowered. And, and so, you know, what ends up happening with Paul is, as he got saved, what it, you know, it's just crazy. Three years in Arabia, God shows him what's going on. Then you guys remember, he goes down to Jerusalem and you read about it in Acts chapter 9 and they say, you know what, you're too hot to handle, you got to go away. And so they send him off to Tarsus and he's there for uh, about eight, nine years in his hometown, uh, preaching the gospel, no doubt about it. Then in Acts chapter 11, when Barnabas is there in Antioch and God's doing a great work, he says, man, I need help. And so what does he do? He goes looking for Saul and he brings him back. And the Bible says for a whole year, they were there teaching the disciples in Antioch. And then what ends up happening after that is the first missionary journey, which is two years and you do it all together. And then after that first missionary journey, when they come back to Antioch, 
what had happened was these guys had come into the church under the radar. They snuck into those doors, but they were not preaching the same gospel. They were saying what Paul is saying is not enough. What those guys are saying is not enough, that you can't just get saved by believing. You have to be circumcised as well. And what they were doing was they were beginning to bring the people back into bondage. Next thing you know, it talks about the religious holidays. Next thing you know, they're back under the law. Next thing you know, it's legalism. Next thing you know, they don't even know if they're saved anymore. Because you're saved by works according to their standard. And Paul said, no way. After 14 years, now it all comes back. And these guys had gone into the church. And and you guys got to know this too. It doesn't matter what church you go to. You know, praise God, we know we have good churches and we're taught the word, but not everybody that comes to that door is preaching the same gospel. Not everybody that comes to that door is saved. You have some wolves in sheep's clothing and they're very legalistic and they want to bring you into bondage and they want to give you their own personal convictions and next thing you know, you know, it's, it's awful. And so, so these guys, they came in, they said, you guys aren't saved. You know, you're not saved, Randy. You're a nice guy, but I'm sorry, man. You've got to get circumcised or, you know, canonized or baptized or whatever, man. You know, and, and Randy's like, really? And, <laughs> and so Paul, look what he says in verse 1. After 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and I also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation. And what that means is, as, as they're there and they're having this debate in the church, you read it in the book of Acts chapter 15, Paul doesn't even want to go. He's like, I don't need to go. I know the gospel. I mean, I know how we're saved. He didn't even want to go. And so the Lord said, no, I want you to go. I want you to go because we need to be blameless in the sight of everybody that's watching us. You need to go up there. You need to show the congregation here in Antioch that you're submissive to the leaders in Jerusalem, that you guys are all on the same page and the gospel is true. And you need to make this argument public and broad and it's going to extend to the ends of the earth. And so he went up by revelation. The Lord told him to go. And so we read there in in verse 2, I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. And, and what that means is when he went up to Jerusalem, first thing he did is he had a little private meeting with the leaders and he says, you guys are on the same page I'm at, right? Because if not, this is all in vain. And of course, you know, we're going to see in the end they were. But in verse 3, he says, yet not even Titus, who was with me being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. See, Paul says, I mean, circumcision doesn't save you. Titus, who was full on Greek, I did not ask him to be circumcised because that's something that would violate the convictions of exactly what we're talking about. Now, Timothy was different because Timothy was half Jewish. But Titus, no. I mean, you know, um, like we were talking about last time, in order to be saved. You know, nowadays, someone might come up to you and say, well, you need to be baptized to be saved, because for us, that's the big thing. Well, for the Jews, it was circumcision. But Paul says, no. If you say that I have to be circumcised to be saved, then what you're doing is you're perverting the gospel. You're perverting it. 
I thought it would be good to turn to Acts 15 and, and read that with you guys so you know the background of what's going on here in Galatians 2. So if you would turn to Acts 15, and notice what we read right here, and certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. And so being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And so God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, just as a technicality, the reason that they told the Gentiles that they had to be circumcised in order to be saved is because basically what they were telling the Gentiles that you needed to become Jews before you could become Christians. And so here he's telling them, no, when I went and I preached to the Gentiles and I gave them the gospel, you guys remember in, Genesis, in Acts chapter 10, the Holy Spirit fell on them while I was speaking to them. It's got nothing to do with ceremony. It's a moment in time when someone places their faith in Christ. They're purified by faith. Peter tells them the story, right? And then in verse 10, he says, Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? You see, because what it does, when you start saying, hey, you got to get circumcised, you got to become a Jew to get saved, is now you're bringing them back into that whole life of law. And I tell you what, if something happens to me today, and you never know, I don't know why someone just sent me a text message right now and said, you better go to the doctors and get a checkup. And this is someone who I don't even know. Maybe they got a word from the Lord saying, I need to go to the doctors and get a checkup. I don't know, but I'm going to text them back and say, you're kind of weird. But anyways, I mean, what if I, I die today? Not afraid. Not afraid. I, I know in whom I have believed. I'm not a... I'm not a better man than any other man. I'm not. You know, we all have our different hang-ups and, you know, I have the way that I'm wired. I cannot compare myself to you. Some guys, they're wired differently. Some guys, they, they have a crazy anger or they have a crazy fear. Or they have crazy anxiety or some guys, you know, who knows, man, they were born addicted to drugs. You cannot compare yourself to any other person. They didn't have a dad, different things going on in their life. 
So no one's better than anyone else. I'm not better than anyone else. And it doesn't even matter, you know, that I get to serve as a pastor, a teacher, a leader, or be in the church a lot. You know, none of those things, my, my trust is in none of those things. My trust is in the blood of God. Acts 20, 28, it says God purchased the church with his own blood. I know my sins are washed away, not because I'm any better than anybody else, or not because I've read my Bible 30 times, or not because I prayed a certain amount of time. I know that I'm saved because of Jesus. And, yet, and, it, and it provides a peace. You know, my heart goes out to some people who don't have that assurance because for whatever reason, they got sidetracked thinking that it has to do with their own righteousness or their own works or baptism or circumcision or whatever the case may be. So, so you know, when this issue came and, oh, it's not just faith, you got to be circumcised, you got to keep the law of Moses, you know, Paul fought it with everything that, that he was. And he goes to Jerusalem and we see here the, the first church council and, you know, they're talking and Peter's talking and then eventually, you know, James ends up giving the final decision that, that they, what they were saying is true and they write up this declaration that we're, we'll read about when they go through their missionary journeys. But, but that's the background to Galatians chapter 2. So, you know, it's interesting to me, though, how, how Paul did go and, and Peter and, and James, they did make a decision, but Paul wasn't even basing it on those guys. We'll see that if you go back to Galatians, you know, we, we see that Paul based it on the revelation of God and, and basically it was rooted in his word. Notice what we read right here again in verse four, and they went up. To Jerusalem, all this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth. In other words, they came in under the radar to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus. Notice their agenda that they might bring us into bondage to whom we did not yield submission, not for a moment, you know, not even an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. And so he says in verse six, but from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, that's also, that's Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I was eager to do. And so I think really the point that, that, that Paul is making right here is that the guys that were there, Peter, James, and John, who were like the pillars of the church, they didn't add anything. I didn't go to get their approval per se because the gospel 
is, is beyond what any man might say. Now, if you remember earlier, Paul said this, even if I or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel than what we've preached, let him go to hell. That's what he says. Let him be damned. Let him be anathema, right? And then he says it again, even if I preach a different gospel, then let him be anathema. And so, you know, you guys might say, hey, you know, Billy Graham or, or whoever, the, the person that you might put on a pedestal, Greg Laurie, you know, or, or you know, Manny. Oh, yeah, I don't think you would, but I'm just using myself as an example. You're like, well, he's a pastor of the church. It doesn't even matter because the pastor of the church is under the authority of God's word. It doesn't matter what, what the guy says. What matters is what, what God says in his word. And these guys are cool guys. You know, they're pillars of the church, Peter, James, and John, but they didn't add anything to the gospel. They didn't add anything to me. As a matter of fact, when I went and I, you know, dealt with this whole issue with them, the only thing that, that got clarified when I went to Jerusalem, you know, that, that got changed, so to speak, because the gospel stayed the same, was that they said, okay, you know what, we need to organize the church a little bit. And Peter is working effectively with the Jews and and the, you know the circumcised and and Paul, we're going to give you and Barnabas the ministry to the the Gentiles, and they said, but this is all that we ask that you remember the poor, and and what that is in reference to the Jews who were in Jerusalem, who because they had like the communism kind of Christian communism thing going, they ended up uh, seeing a lot of them being poor, and so you know Paul here is saying something that's very important to us. When, whoever the pastor is, whoever the teacher is, whoever the guy that's doing the Bible study, um, you know, the, the Catholic Church, they got the Pope. You know, supposedly when he sits on his seat, he's ex-cathedra or whatever, because he's infallible. I mean, I'm sorry, man. He's just a man. Remember what I tell you guys? You finish the sentence for me. The best of men are... Men at best. So you test everything they say according to the scriptures. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. Okay, I went to Jerusalem, but one of the things that he really wanted to establish is that the gospel is not something given to us by man or through man. The gospel is given to us by God. And that'll ne it'll never change. It'll never change. Now, just as an aside note there in verse 10, I've always loved that verse. That was one of the verses the Lord gave me when we started the church in Almani. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. You know, and coming to Almani, sometimes you find people who maybe don't have as much money. And that's one of the reasons why I like being here and I feel like God has called me here. And I feel like God wants to make sure that we never forget the poor. I'm not talking about people who are trying to uh, manipulate the system and they don't want to work. But I'm talking about people who are genuinely poor. And a lot of the church, uh, they, they've kind of thrown out the baby with the bathwater. When you read the Gospel of Matthew chapter 25, when Jesus separates the sheep from the goats, 
You know, he talks to, to, to them and he says, you know, when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was naked, you gave me clothes. When I didn't have a place to stay as a stranger, you welcomed me in. When I was sick and in prison, you visited me. You know, that, he says, when you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. And I think sometimes we, we don't even care about the poor. You know, we'll, we'll spend all of our money on ourselves. And so, to me, that's always been a, an important verse. Of course, we know when Paul would go on his missionary journeys, you guys remember, he would do his collection. Uh, it was always for the poor who were in Jerusalem. It wasn't for himself. And so anyways, this is what's going on. And then he, and he gives more in verse 11. He says, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. This is Peter. You guys know he's the first pope, right? <laughs> no, he's not. I'm just joking. You know, he's not. The, the, the church has no such thing as a pope. But Paul says, when he did wrong, I, I told him right to his face. He was wrong. Notice he says in verse 12, For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And, and the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? And so, you guys, it's hard for us to even imagine where they're coming from, but there was a time in society where certain, you know, whatever, um, races and religions, they would not eat with uh, other races or other religions, you know? Because if I double-dipped in my pita, you know, whatever, uh, hummus or sop that's there, and then you dipped, then your germs go in there and my germs go in there. Next thing you know, I'm eating your germs. And that's gross right? <laughs> to them, it was like, and what that meant is I'm becoming one with you. And there is something about breaking bread with someone that is intimate. And even, you know, if you don't double dip, but especially if you double dipped. And so, you know, the Jews would never eat with the Gentiles. The, the Gentiles wouldn't eat with the Jews. But then when God broke down those walls, he said, listen, I have no favorites. There's no such thing as, uh, as Mexican and Italian uh, as, as male, as female, as slave, or, or, you know, master. I mean, there's no such thing. I mean, there's differences as far as, you know, um, the, the physics go, but not in any religious preference. We're all equal, all of us. And so when Peter was there at Antioch, he would eat with the Gentiles. Hey, you got pizza? Cool. You know, it's not kosher. That's all right. I can eat a cheeseburger with you. You know, I mean, he was eating with them. No problem. The, the walls had been destroyed by Christ. There's no barriers between us anymore. 
right? And so he was being a Gentile, so to speak, and he was there breaking bread with them. But then when the big guys came from Jerusalem, Peter said, oh, no, I better go over here because, you know, I mean, they might say something about me to the guys over there, and who knows, I'll get in trouble. I mean, it's a weird thing. He was playing the hypocrite. So was Barnabas. So were others. He wasn't being consistent. And imagine what that did to the Gentiles. Now they're confused. Now they're wondering, is this true or not? Am I saved or not? Are we one or not? Are you my friend or not? And so Paul, he just called him to the carpet. And he said, that's not right. You're being a hypocrite. And again, we're, we come back to, the, to, the, to one of the messages here that, that it's not what men say. It's what, what does the word say? I thank God for his word. You know, I, I, the, yesterday my wife had recorded this uh, special on Jim Jones. And I don't really, I didn't really know much about Jim Jones. Maybe some of you guys know that whole story there. I mean, what a, a crazy thing that happened. I don't know, what was it, close to nine? Oh, I don't know how many, hundreds of people ended up committing suicide because they followed the man. You know, they drank that Kool-Aid. I mean, but, but here's something that I got to tell you that, that's so true. That no one who knows their Bible will ever, ever be brainwashed like that. Because when you know your Bible, you're set free from that. And that, that was Peter. You know, and he's sharing that word with them. You know, it's such a cool thing to see, you guys. I mean, that, that as you know the truth, the truth sets you free. And if someone comes over to you and they say, Hey, you know, Jerry, I know, you're, you, know you believe in everything, but did you know that in order to be saved, Jerry, you need to read your Bible for two hours every day. Otherwise, you're not going to go to heaven. You're going to actually go to limbo, maybe purgatory, and then stuff like that. And, and Jerry will be like, Really? Absolutely not, man. I know what Jerry would do. He would sock him. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) He would say, there's no way. I know the gospel. You can't deceive me. And it it could be a pastor. I mean, thank God that we know the word. And And that's what he's sharing right here because the enemy always tries to take you back into a legalistic relationship. You know, someone gives you a gift and it's so hard to receive the gift. You know, you want to pay them $5 for it. Or you, they take you out to dinner and you just can't receive it. So you got to take them out to dinner and that kind of uh, evens things out. And then what, what kind of relationship is that? And so he says, no, it's just a gift. But then notice what we read next in verse 15, because A lot of people are not sure where the quote ends and they believe maybe it stops at verse 14. And then Paul goes on to explain now to the Galatians, we who are Jews by nature, that's the, the physical, you know, Israelites and not sinners of the Gentiles. Now that was a derogatory statement that the legalistic Jews had about the Gentiles, that they're they're the yucky sinners, you know knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be 
justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. And every once in a while, and I'm, the works of the law here, contextually speaking, they're in reference to Judaism, right? But it could be any works. So sometimes I, I go, we go street witnessing, you know, and we'll talk to people and they say, hey, we'll ask them, hey, if you were to die today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? And some of them say, yeah, I know for sure I'd go to heaven. And so then I ask them, well, if you were standing at heaven's door, and let's just say, you know, one of the angels said, why should I let you in? What would you say? And a lot of times, you know what they say? They say, because I'm a good person. And I just tell them right there, I'm sorry, wrong answer. If you believe that you're going to heaven because you're, going, because you're a good person, then you are going to hell. It's heavy. Why? Because they're trusting in themselves. You know, what does the song say? You know, nothing in my hand I bring, only to thy cross I cling. Right? I mean, we're not justified by the works of the law. We're, we're justified by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, who died and rose again. But when you come from a religious background, that's a hard thing to let go. Notice in verse 17, but if whilst we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor, for I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. And there's a lot here, and as you guys get into your groups I want you to talk about this. But, but here's the thing that, that we see. Um, it, it's, it's interesting. Verse 17, you can visualize a guy. He's, he's saved and he's, he's on the road that leads to heaven. And that's, if you're saved here today, then you're on that narrow road that leads to heaven. That's you in verse 17. But in verse 18, he says, But if I build again those things which I destroyed... I make myself a transgressor. He talks about being a sinner in verse 17. And so I know what a lot of you are thinking. You're thinking about that Christian who used to serve the Lord. They're serving the Lord and now they go back to drinking again. Or now they go back to drugs again. Or they know now they go back to sexual sin again. And then that is a potential answer. But in this case, contextually speaking, what he's saying is now they go back to the law again. Now they go back to Catholicism again. Now they go back to Judaism again. Now they go back to religion again. That's their sin. That's their transgression. That's what he's saying. He says, because, you know, if I'm going back to the law, bottom line is I died to the law. And then we have that beautiful verse in verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. 
And the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, for us here, I mean, most of you guys here, you're like, I got to die to self. I got to die to self. I'm not going to drink anymore. You know, I got to die to self. I'm not going to check out that chick anymore. And I hear the high heels and I'm tempted to look. I'm going to go the other way or whatever. You see a bikini on the television and you're like, I'm, I'm going to crucify myself, right? And that's good. But for Paul, he had to crucify himself regarding religion because everything in the flesh, wanted to go back to religion. That's the way the flesh is. There's an an attraction to the stained glass windows. There's an attraction to the incense. There's an attraction to the holy water. There's an attraction to the rules and regulations. That's the flesh. But Paul said, no, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, that's pretty cool, huh? And gave himself for me. So he says there in that last verse, so I don't set aside the grace of God. And we're going to see later as we go through the book of Galatians, unfortunately, that some people do. That some people who seem to be so solid in their simple faith in the Lord, unfortunately, are no longer living that life as justified by Christ.